when the man and the woman are leading together, it has generational implications. When it's either or and at the expense of the other, it's so limited in its reach. So that gave me the permission just to be a woman in leadership, to understand I have something that I have to bring. If I don't, the generations miss out. Raise 1000 Voices is the podcast on a mission to raise the voices of the clever, creative and courageous women across the world. I am your host, Jacqueline Nagel, and I invite you to join me in conversations with women who will inspire and empower you as we explore just how to lift our levels of self-trust, to reclaim the narrative and to use our voice to go after exactly what we want, doing it with strength, power and grace. Welcome to episode three of Raise 1000 Voices. And in this conversation, I get to share the conversational couch with a woman who is a lighthouse and an anchor all at once in my own personal spiritual world. She is none other than my pastor, Carolina Gunza, and she is what I call the epitome of intelligence, strength, grit, and masterful communication. She is everything. I hope I can be as I journey towards one day growing up. As an author, preacher, blogger, and pastor, Carolina's influence and ministry are a blessing to many generations across all parts of society. Combining a background in media, communications, and business, years of lived leadership experience, and her prophetic edge, Carolina is a strategic thinker and a spiritual architect. She has a powerful communicative ability, which is undergirded by a deep devotion to biblical truth. Her words, both written and orated, deliver revelation and empowerment to audiences around the world. And until recently, alongside her husband, Sam, she has been leading teams in churches for more than two decades. Earlier this year, as you will hear in the interview, Carolina lost her husband, Sam, to cancer at the age of 45. At the age of just 40, Carolina has now stepped into leading the ministry that she and Sam built together. Her insights into leadership, communication, what happens when women don't step into their power is surprising, delightful, powerful, and I'm sure will land for you the same way she lands in my world ever since I met her. Welcome to episode three. I cannot wait to hear what Carolina imparts into your heart. Carolina Gunza, welcome to the podcast. We'll raise 1,000 voices. It's so good to have you today. Thank you for having me, Jacqueline. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah. So just for our listeners, wherever they may be tuning in from, where in the world are you right now? Geographically, I'm in sunny Queensland. Beautiful. In the Moreton Bay area. Personally, though, I'm in the uncharted waters of redefinition. Oh, I love that. Have you ever been there? Yeah, just once or twice. (laughs) And when we're going through it, it feels like it's endless. And then all of a sudden, the heavens open literally. So, okay, well, I'm waiting for that. Waiting for that. But I'm trusting it's coming. Yeah. Trusting the process is my favorite mantra right now. It keeps me sane. That's right. Yeah. So, Caroline, for those listening who won't know you, you are actually the pastor at my church. You are the epitome of what I see as fierce and brave and bold and of conviction. So for the people listening just in a few minutes, how the journey to get here and to be leading a church and 
Just take us through that journey to date. Yes. Well, definitely don't know whose life I'm living. It was not ever part of the plan to be doing what I'm doing. I have a Bachelor in International Business and a Bachelor of Arts Journalism. So my goal was to be in the corporate world, probably PR or journalism or something like that, and ended up in what we call ministry, which is working in the church, pastoring people, caring for people. And I guess I saw my training then as the great setup because I'm using a lot of those skills in what I've been doing now for 20 years, communication, teaching, Mm. lecturing, yeah. And yeah, running an organization. So the business skills as well is, but it was not the plan. And here I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so you mentioned also in a period of redefinition, what is, I guess, the lead into that and how you find yourself here right now? Hmm. Well, at the time, I followed my husband into working for the church and into ministry. And it was kind of his gig. And I followed him into it. In April this year, at the age of 45, he passed away. Mm -hmm. And so we had spent 20 years leading teams, building churches, you know, building congregations, doing all sorts of events and projects and, and impacting communities. And when he passed away, I was suddenly left with this massive question of what now? Like, because this was his deal, really. I found myself in it, absolutely found myself in it. But so that was a big question for me to answer. And I guess a lot of what you do is about women in leadership and women, Mm. you know, raising their voice. I had to answer that question because in the church world, it's not always, it, it still can be the boys club. Yeah. And so for me, I had to ask some big questions of myself and eventually came back to that knowing that I am where I'm meant to be, doing what I'm meant to be doing, and there's still a lot in me, unfinished business. So Mm. this period of redefinition is who am I as a leader without my husband? Yeah. And that redefinition process is an extraordinary one. And for so many women going through it, it can be the loss of someone, which you've experienced this year. It can be the loss of an identity through divorce. It can be the loss. There are so many reasons that so many of us question our identity and have to redefine and reinvent. What has been the cornerstone for you? Because you actually do have to stand, you stand up almost every week and speak to hundreds, if not thousands of people. And you have found strength and conviction. Your strength and conviction, your voice has never wavered. But if we step back for a moment to those questions you had to ask, what became the cornerstone in knowing where to start in that redefinition process? Because I know a lot of our audience, especially as women moving into their 40s and 50s, they really feel that that drive and that desire to be all that they can be. Mm. Yeah, well, I think asking some really tough questions of myself, there people can project onto you their expectations. Yeah. They can project onto you what's appropriate. I definitely felt this projection of, what is appropriate for a grieving widow to do in the grief process? And listening too much to that or relying on that meant I was questioning my instincts, going, am I getting this wrong? Should I actually be doing X, Y, Z? So, for example, I thought, well, they must all be right and I'd better take three months off to grieve. And so I did. And 
they were the worst three days of my life. Three days. <laughs> <laughs> and I quickly got on a spiral of grief and it wasn't healthy grief or healthy mourning. It actually became like this soulish indulgence that was a downward spiral. And so I had to just pull myself out of that and teach myself to spiral upwards, which has been an amazing journey that I've been on. That It is actually possible to spiral upwards. It's a choice. And then coming back to, you know, blow it with appropriate. Yeah. Like who actually determines what's appropriate? Mm. And so rather than, you know, I'm not saying be obnoxious because there's nothing less attractive than an obnoxious leader. Yeah. But I had to come back to a knowing what's in me Mm. and just doing what I know is in me to do. Nothing less and nothing more. And in that, I found this rhythm of grace and I'm now walking in this grace that I've never felt before. Yeah. It's amazing, like just slipstream. And I know very quickly when I'm stepping out of it because I step into striving, you know, insecurity starts to flare up, all those sorts of things. But when it's just in me to do and I do it, there's a peace about it, there's a satisfaction around it and there's fruit to it as well. Yeah. There's an outcome you know there is there is there is and and I love the part about grace in the slipstream it's one of the things that we're very strident about talking to the women in our world about is that everything needs to be strength power and grace it's not with aggression it's not with arrogance it's not with obnoxiousness I think is the word that you used everything needs to be about strength power and grace and so grace in the slipstream is actually being really in touch with yourself isn't it understanding when you're in flow and when that resistance starts to flare yeah Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So when it comes to making that decision, because for those who are not within the church communities of any description or faith, stepping into ministry without a husband by your side, either in the church or supporting you is quite unique, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it really is uncharted. Yeah. So at what point did you realize that you were going to go for it anyway? What were the things that came together for you to believe that this was possible for you? I went to my uplines and people who I would consider wise counsel mm. and ran it all by them. And I was willing to submit to their wise counsel. Yeah. And they all were in 100% support, which actually surprised me, humbled me, yeah. and solidified, I guess, this hunch that I had that this is maybe what I'm supposed to continue doing. So it was just the most humbling thing, but that was what got me over the line was people who I considered my authorities saying, yep, we're behind you. This is the right thing. Yeah. And let's do it. Yeah. I think from my experience as well with the world generally is that most women actually don't reach out Mm -hmm. to run their ideas, to seek counsel, to, it's kind of like, because we nurture everyone else, we forget that we do have the ability and capacity to reach out. For women who feel like they don't have the right or the space to reach out, what would your advice be to them? Oh, I'd say you absolutely must and find people who, I guess it's a form of coaching even. Yeah. I've done that my whole life is sort out one or two or three voices that I'll meet with sporadically through the year. You know, each one I might meet with once or twice in the year and I give them permission to speak into my life, to see my blind spots. Yeah. The reason they're blind spots is because you can't see them. Yeah. <laughs> but other people can. And then actually submit to that voice 
and apply the advice, I would say is essential, Mm. essential in just your own sanity, but also your growth as a leader. Mm. Yeah, I'd encourage every woman to reach out and find a few safe voices who are a little bit further ahead in the journey, who are, you know, they've got the runs on the board. They're kind of already where you want to be and they've proven themselves and just ask them for their time. Yeah. Be low maintenance. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) be low maintenance and be honouring. That's right. Yeah. 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 So a lot of the work that we're now doing is around encouraging women to raise their voices, giving them the strategies, the frameworks, the permission to do so. Why do you think or do you believe that this matters and why do you think it matters, specific for the feminine voice? Yeah. Look, I'm not a fluff and bubble, you know, pink frills and baby's breath kind of female. No. But I do know and I've experienced firsthand the power of a woman who understands her leadership. I think the biggest grief I see for women in leadership is that that we've been fed a lie that we need to lead like men or in place of men. Perfect. And so it's become a competition. It's ugly Mm. and it's to our own detriment as well as theirs. And so when a woman knows how to lead like a woman, she brings something completely unique to the earth, Mm. to the table. And so leading not in competition with or in place of or mimicking but alongside that the two are complementary and only when they're complementary can we see a healthy expression of leadership in the earth. Mm. They're not at competition or at at odds with each other, they're actually complementary to each other. So it's important, women in leadership is important because, and if I can explain it in, I guess, metaphoric or even spiritual terms, I wrestled with this for the longest time. I'm a reluctant female leader. And everyone was, you know, speaking into me saying, "You, you have a strength about you, you have a voice, you You've got to bring what you have to the table. I was reluctant about it because of the way women in ministry are portrayed in the church world sometimes. And it was two men actually in my world who kept encouraging me to step out. And I remember saying to them, can you explain to me what I don't understand? And it was my husband who said, if you think about it in the natural, it takes both a man and a woman to reproduce. And so Without the female voice, he said, what we do will only ever be one generational. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So if you think about it in context of like the metaphor or the spirit is when the man and the woman are leading together, it has generational implications. Yeah. When it's either or and at the expense of the other, it's so limited in its reach. Yeah. So that gave me the permission just to be a woman in leadership, Mm. to understand I have something that I have to bring. Yeah. If I don't, the generations miss out. I love that perspective. And that actually is a, that's a paradigm shift. And I'm sure for most people listening along, it is also a paradigm shift. So what do you think the cost is? Mm. And I think this is going to be a rabbit hole. What do you think the cost is of women not stepping into leadership as a woman into raising their voice in the feminine, what do you think the cost of that actually is? Oh, there's just fallout in communities and generations. You know, we do work in Cambodia where we rescue girls and boys, but predominantly 
young girls from as young as four and five from the sex trafficking industry. Yeah. And we see the power of rehabilitating a young woman and her family and the power that has in a whole community. Women just have this ability to connect communities, to bring something of strength Mm -hmm. in a way that only a woman can. So there's so much fallout and so much cost associated with a woman who doesn't stand, a woman who doesn't reach her potential, a woman who shies back from it. But then there's also another cost, I think, if we're talking about the cost of doing it Mm. is another reason why people don't do it. Absolutely. Is because it costs so much. Mm. To be in leadership is a very costly endeavour. Yeah. And it costs the soul and it really, to do it well, costs you everything. Yeah. And a good leader is a selfless leader. Mm. You know, the culture today makes leadership quite narcissistic. Very narcissistic. Yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a cultural rebellion against that with those younger generations that we've sown into. They've actually, they're turning around saying, we've listened to your message. So why are you stirring up that way? Right. So we're actually getting to a stage where I believe they're starting to push back on that. When it comes to what you are witness to in your world and the greater world, you know, we you just talked about the activities in Cambodia. You also provide a lot of counsel and wisdom to the women in your community. And I've been one of those. So what is it that women bring, particularly women bring to you that just breaks your heart, that you just wish that they could take this and run with it? What is it that breaks your heart with what women bring to you when they're in times of distress? Yeah, I think women just excuse themselves. There is no man that I've met who's sitting back going, oh, look, I just, I, I just feel insecure about that. They're usually like, sure, I have no idea how to do it, but I'm just going to make it up as I could. Let me at it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But us women, we excuse ourselves so quickly. Mm. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because we're also in a day where, you know, virtue signaling and stacking boards and leadership teams for diversity's sake and all of that sort of thing means it actually works against us. What about a woman leading on her own merits? Yeah. And just male or female, you know, Mm. just on your own merits. Yeah. And I think you have to give yourself permission to even go there to figure out, to get your own runs on the board. Yeah. You know, and you can't get there if you're excusing yourself. So most of my life, all of my life has been doing it afraid. Mm Mm-hmm making it up as I go, yeah, you know, and also realising, okay, one of my pet hates, pet peeves is that, you know, you're enough, sweetheart, you're enough. Actually, I'm not enough and I'll never be enough. Mm. I'm actually not. Me in and of myself, I'm not enough to solve any meaningful humanitarian dilemma because the world out there is so broken. Yeah. But when I just go, I'm not enough, but I'm putting my hand up to make a difference. Yeah. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to step into grace. Mm-hmm. I'm going to humble myself and just be a part of the answer. Yeah. That's when you make a difference. There's, there's two ends of the spectrum where we've got some people who are, you know, prideful in that they're trying to grab it. They're trying to grab leadership, they're narcissistic about it. And then we've got others who are what I call false humility 
and they're like disqualifying themselves, excusing themselves. That's still right. It's still pride. It is. But somewhere in the middle, you've got true humility that says, I might not have all the answers. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all put together, but I'm going to be a part of the solution. Yeah. And that is beautiful. And so anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. Yeah. You don't have to be qualified. I love that thing of letting ourselves off like I am enough, sweetheart, you are enough. We just um, came off a session just before doing this and one of the women has put in place some stuff she's doing to launch a new business and it's not going quite to where she wanted it to. But her expression was, I've just surrendered and what will be will be. And I was like, no, like let maybe surrender the outcome, but don't surrender the intention. Like you've just given yourself permission to fail. You've just actually opened the door to say, if this doesn't work, that's okay. And I said, and in doing that, you're actually going to kill a part of your soul because you only started creating this because you were called to do it. Mm. You are responding to a sense within yourself that this was necessary and important. So yes, it's going to be difficult, but you're at the start of your apprenticeship. So this one may not go to plan, but don't surrender it and let go of it. And her, she was, her face just, first of all, was a little bit startled because I don't think anyone's called anyone on that sort of thing before. But then she lit up because she realized she had been about to let go of her dream. And the thing is, is that when we're called to some work and it doesn't go to plan or it's a bit tougher and we hear these things that excuse us or let ourselves off, we don't realize that that's actually the start of failure, that that's actually the start of this not working. It's in the smallest of moments, you know. So when you see women actually stand in and realize that they can make a difference from wherever they stand, what is it that gets them into that belief state? What have you seen that really activates a woman to stand in her grace, to stand in her power and to do what she can in her space? Yeah, I think two things. The first one is just I've seen the power of knowing that there's someone in your corner. Yeah. So I think we have to get around each other and encourage each other. Mm -hmm. So I've just seen it over and over again. All we ever need is one person to back us. Yeah, we do. It's powerful. I've seen it in my own children. I've used it as a leadership approach in my own teams. You know, someone who is shy or timid and I'll just say, I believe in you and I'll back you even when you don't back yourself. And what that does, it causes them to be able to square their shoulders. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is there's something so compelling about a cause that's bigger than yourself. Yes. You know, as long as we're living for self, it's easy to go, oh, it's not working. I must have failed there. I'm going to, you know, throw the towel in. But when the cause is bigger than you, Mm. you can't just quit. No, you can't. I've tried to. For everyone listening, I've tried to time and time again. And now I'm like, okay, this is the pathway. This is the calling. I don't know how many times I've written resignations. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not alone then. No, and then retracted them because you can't quit a cause that's bigger than you. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't. Like when it's about you, it's easy to quit yeah. and move on to the next thing that's about you. But when it's this, when it's bigger than you, there's no getting away from it. Yeah. If we can just go back for a moment as well, just to, you were talking about like just having one person who stands beside you. There is a book that I came across recently and I now give it to everyone. In fact, I've given it to a couple of people in our church as well called Change Your World. And he's actually is a psychologist from Canada, Dr. Michael Unger. And he has actually now quantified the research that individual ruggedness or that, that, indiv- that rugged individualism is actually failing, which is what we're talking about when it's all about self. 
And we praise the outliers, so the people who make it out of the desperate situations, the poster children for universities who come from Sudan, the all of these sorts of things. We praise these outliers because they break it out and we have adopted this false story of grit and resilience because he said the difference between these people that make it out is not their grit and resilience quotient. It is actually that there was somebody who came across them and stood beside them and got them out. Now, it may be at the time they get to a refugee camp, it may be after extreme trauma, but there is somebody who believes in them, who says, I see you, I believe in you, let's go. This is the pathway. And that is the only difference because the children who are in disadvantaged or the young adults who are in disadvantaged environments, many of them are smart, many of them are talented, it's actually not about talent and grit and resilience. It's about someone who believes in them. So for you, especially in this last six to 12 months, who is the person who really believes in you, who you tap back into when you need to restore that in yourself, especially with some of the challenges you've had? Where do you go to for that? And who is it that helps you with that? Yeah, people tell me almost on the daily oh, you're just so strong. I don't know how you're doing this. You're so strong. And and my response is there's a thousand reasons why and each one of them has a name. <laughs> it's the support network. Yeah. And so for 20 years, being a pastor and a leader, I've given support to others because we know that that's the right thing to do. Mm. But being on the receiving end of it now over the last you know, it was a 14-year journey where Sam wrestled with his health and then passed away, and it's been six months since then. Being on the receiving end of support, honestly, I wouldn't be resilient or strong in the absence of that. Yeah. And I would just say I'm the most blessed of all widows because of the support that I have that makes it possible to get up, makes it possible to keep moving, and then also validates the work that I've done for 20 years that I will continue doing because it does, it just gives people breath in their lungs. It gives them a reason to get up. It gives them hope again for each day. So is there one person? No, there isn't. It's a network of people that are just around and supportive, practical help, encouragement, text messages, a smile, a gift, support for the family, for the children. So, yeah, I say there are a thousand reasons why and each one of them has a name. I love that so much. Did you have to change gears in order to be able to receive in the same way that you've given support? Hmm. I had this one lady in our church and she herself has been battling with her own health for a number of years, I'm going to say, like over a decade. I don't know exactly how long. She has a degenerative disease and she's in a wheelchair and her you know it's yeah it's tough in and out of hospital she started making meals for us and having them delivered once a fortnight and I rang her and I said you are absolutely the last person that I'll accept a gift from and she said to me Carolina this is my way of kicking the devil in the teeth yeah and so I said well then go right ahead yeah (laughs) And so there's just that, that sense of when you, when you give, when you help, when you reach out, you actually bring your healing to yourself as well. Yeah. You are a recipient just as much as you are the one giving. So, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the other question that comes up for me as well is, and obviously I was a witness to that incredible journey and the strength and the conviction that you yourself and Sam held space for all of us, not just yourselves, and the receiving of support. But then there was also the very public face. So within a matter of weeks, you were you were going to take the three months off, as you said, that was the worst three days of your life. <laughs> and we all were in love with you when you walked back into that room and stood there in such strength and faith, faith and grace. But you actually did come back really strongly from a vocal perspective. And you actually, one of the first sermons you did was actually about losing your religion and the challenges that you had having to accept the process that God had taken you through. Can you talk to us about how you were able to go into the depths that you needed to to bring that strength of voice in that environment, in that auditorium, Mm. to be able to stand on that stage and speak with such strength, power and grace? Mm. It goes back to what we were saying about doing what's appropriate but not doing what's in you to do. So Sam passed away on Passover the Thursday night before Good Friday. And Sunday morning, we were in church. I sat with my children on Saturday night, said, do you want to go? And they're like, of course we want to go. So we went. And prepping the kids on the drive-in, you know, I said, we may just want to slip out straight afterwards. So we'll park around the back, you know, avoid the crowds. And when I got there, I found myself wanting to embrace people and grieve with people. And so we stayed and stayed for a long time. Later that week, one of my closest young women who I'm working with, 24 weeks pregnant, her baby Mm. passed and she had to go into labour and deliver that baby the next day. So this is literally a week after Sam passed away. And I offered to be in the delivery room with her and she said, of course, she would understand if I wasn't there, but she'd love it if I could be. And I just knew it was in me to be there. And so I laboured with her all day and it was a hard day, but it was not taxing. And so I just drew deep on my what was in me to do. And I have to say that that Sunday and the following Friday were some of the most spiritual encounters for me. Yeah. And I thought if I had pulled back, I would have missed out just as much as they would have missed out. There's something that feeds your soul when you do what's right to do. You're not trying to keep up appearances. You're not doing anything out of a sense of obligation, but you're just doing what you know is in you to do. And as I started that journey of just getting in tune with that inner voice, I realized something so profound, which has actually kept me sane. And it's a concept that Stephen Covey writes about in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it's this principle that 98% is harder than 100%. He talks about living by conviction and integrity 100% of the time is easier than doing it 98% of the time. Because when do you decide what you're going to do with that 2%? Yeah. How are you going to spend it? When are you going to spend it? And how quickly 2% becomes 5%, becomes 10%. And all of a sudden you're living a flaky, compromised life and you're nowhere near. (laughs) And I'm only laughing because I think we're all going to be able to relate. (laughs) And so I just went, you know what? I'm just going to live by my values and my convictions 100% of the time. And it's kept me sane. Yeah. 
it's kept me sane. And I think that's what has given me power in my voice is that I'm just 100% all in. Yeah. 100% living every day by what I know my convictions are. Mm. And if I have a bad day, it's not actually a bad day. I'm just crying a bit more that day. I'm still living by my convictions and I'm still getting up and I'm still being 100% who I am. Yeah. Integrity, values and conviction is what has given me so much strength to just keep getting up, keep speaking and keep sharing, keep being there for people. Yeah. You've been responsible within your role as a pastor and a leader within a community. You have been responsible for actually shaping others' voices Mm -hmm. and you do shape some pretty powerful and formidable voices coming out of the environment that you and Sam together and now you have created. What is it? that you instill in them and so one thing is what do you instill in them but then also too what are the practical bits of what you share with them to elevate their voice Mm, gosh that's a podcast in itself (laughs) (laughs) we might have to do a part two later on (laughs) you know I just see my role as my role as a good leader really is measured by their fruit yeah it's a good leader is measured by those who are following them Mm -hmm. and are they becoming giants in themselves? A leader who is a standalone giant is not actually a leader, Mm -hmm. but a leader who can produce leaders, a champion who can produce champions, someone who can release others to even outdo them. That's a good leader. Yeah. And that's a challenge because it means, you know, one day you're going to have to flick on the lights with someone else's name. You know, one day you're going to have to let go of that person and watch them soar and leave the nest. Yeah. And so that's a challenge. You're constantly releasing, constantly profiling and celebrating others. But that's that's what a leader does. Yeah. That's what a leader does. A leader leads people yeah. into their destiny. The measure of a good leader is has someone else's dream come true under your leadership. Oh, I love that because it's it's about their dreams. It's not about the box you want to put them into. That's right, especially in the world I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about helping people meet that potential that heaven has deposited in them for the generation that they're in. Yeah. You know, every single person exists for such a time as this. And if I'm a leader in this space, then I have to help them uncover that and become that, whatever that is. I'm not trying to produce clones of me. I'm understanding that every single person plays a different part. So I'm trying to find what their thing is, help them discover that, grow into that, disallow their excuses, disallow their, you know, you're very good at that (laughs) (laughs) no you're bigger than that there's more in you than that and continuing to draw that out so for me oh it's really hard to say what are the practical things because every single person is unique and every single journey is unique but I'm measuring myself on how many people are outgrowing me how many people are moving into powerful positions of leadership and voice and influence then I know I've done my job I love that so much because it is about how it shows up in others. Mm. It is about, you know, one of the things when I first start working with people and they're not sure they have the right to have a voice is, well, steal my belief until you believe it yourself. Exactly. Right. You know, just I can carry the belief until you're ready to step into that and into that power. So when it comes to who inspires you, so from a, there's a couple of questions in there. So one is who do you believe is a strong 
and powerful feminine voice in the world at the moment for all the right reasons. All the right reasons. Yeah. Um, well, mine are probably all out of the church world. Yeah. So I know when we first met, I put you on to Joyce Meyer and Christine Kinney. Yes. And so they have been for decades mm. strong female voices that just keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. And will pull you out of your, yeah. you know, excuses and sometimes your parties. It's interesting that you bring those two names up. So we have a private group on Facebook called Raise 1000 Voices. And the question last Friday was who inspires you as a speaker? And of the 60 or 70 comments, at least half of them mentioned Joyce Meyer, yeah, which was really astonishing. So that's not just about being in a faith community. Mm-hmm. It is She is a powerful feminine voice. Yeah, because the truth is the truth. Yeah. And so it really doesn't matter which worldview you come from. Yeah. The truth is the truth, which is why I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. But I have several other amazing women in my life who I call on. And, you know, one is my senior pastor, Lee Ramsey, who I just rang, you know, throughout this journey and her pearls of wisdom got me over the line so many times. Yeah. I have a beautiful friend in Joe Gearling who is the senior pastor of a, another church network in Brisbane and actually around the world. And she just calls it how it is. She'll just shoot straight. Love it. But yeah, like we said earlier, reaching out intentionally to them yeah. is key and has been key. Yeah. Yeah. What I love about that is you're saying about shooting straight. Like one of the things that I think I said to you when we first got to know each other was what I love about what you bring to the table is a fierce and resolution in your faith and the world and the potential and capacity of everyone, but you were so straight with it, so intelligent and so straight with it. And I think every one of those people that you've mentioned is the same thing. And what I'm noticing when I ask these questions of people is it is people who stand in truth, stand in grace, but it doesn't mean that they're soft. They're people who will call it as it is, who point at things that are not great and who give people permission to be a little bit broken, but give them hope to continue. Would that kind of sum it up for you? Yeah, absolutely. And even in leadership, you know, a good leader needs to be good at conflict. We don't shy away from conflict. We just do it well. Yeah. You know, that's the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Yeah. You know, and so doing conflict, leading a person means calling them out when they need to be called out. And they are hard conversations. And Mm -hmm. so leading those conversations well, you know, I'll often say this is going to be a hard conversation for both of us but I'm not saying anything to you. I wouldn't say to my own son or my own daughter, because I believe in you and to not have this conversation would allow you to sabotage your future. Yeah. So when that person knows that even though you're shooting straight, you're shooting straight because you're in their corner, then it's received. And it's so important. We need more leaders who just actually care about the other person yeah. Enough to go, I'm with you in this and I will protect you. What we talk about in, behind closed doors stays behind closed doors and I'll call you out behind the closed door. You need to know out there I'm defending you, I'm protecting you, I'm covering you. But those people who shoot straight because they love us change our lives. Uh, they do. They do. The best, they change our lives. They change our businesses. Like the best parts of my business world have been as a result of somebody shooting straight that I've listened to. The best parts of my personal world and the transformations have been exactly that. So I love that. 
Would it be okay if we just go back for a moment? You mentioned a distinction between peacekeeper and peacemaker. And once I understand inherently what you mean by that, I think it would be really interesting to sort of expand on that for the audience, like that difference between peacekeeper and peacemaker. Mm, Yeah, so a peacekeeper will avoid conflict Mm. and a peacemaker, they don't go running after conflict and looking for it, but they understand when there's a need for it, it's done well. Yeah. And conflict resolution is a skill that we can learn and get trained in. Yeah. But ultimately, it's a posture of the heart is the difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. And so a peacemaker is vested in the outcome, vested in, you know, the forward motion of whatever it is we're a part of and the development of the person, whereas a peacekeeper kind of is happy to just clock on and clock off. Yeah. wash their hands of it and walk away. It's kind of, it's a sense of ownership. It's a sense of I'm in this, I'm vested in this and in you. And so it's a big difference in the posture of the heart between those two approaches. Yeah. Yeah, probably the difference between a hireling and a son, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. when this is mine, when I own this and when I believe in you and I believe in what we're doing, I'm going to address what needs to be addressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I really, and the reason why I wanted to circle back to that was I suddenly, as you said that, I thought the posture of the heart, the peacekeeper versus the peacemaker, I knew exactly what you meant because of the emotion I've had in this last 18 months. But how different would the world be in our families, in our homes, our streets, our neighborhoods, our businesses, our governments, if it was actually about peacemaking? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like that just landed so strongly. And I hope it does for the audience as well. So, I could talk to you all day. We quite often do talk for hours and hours at a time. We do for hours. (laughs) But what I would love to do is just wrap up with some very quick questions. And these are questions we're asking of everyone. And this I know how well read you are. So I'm not quite sure how you're going to go here. But what is your favorite book of all time? Because I know how much you read. I know. We're quite often exchanging titles. So hard. I can tell you what I'm reading now, which I'm loving. Spiritual Leadership by Chambers is just, it's no joke. This is hardcore. Okay. Yeah. Great. It's hardcore. It's very much Christian context, but oh, it's no joke. So I'm teaching it to our interns at the moment and it'll change your life, that one. I read the Bible every day. Can't get away from that. As far as leadership goes, one book that I read regularly is or regularly kind of every four or five years is the tale of three kings but it's very much based out of the scripture in king david and how he related up to saul and down to others who were trying to usurp his authority and just the humility that he had in that he held tightly onto his faith but loosely onto position oh and he wasn't wrapped up in position yeah love that he was wrapped up in cause yeah. So that just keeps the main thing for me. Just finished, yeah, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I wish I had read that 20 years ago. Yeah. It was actually the first book I was given at 22 that started me on my whole journey of oh, lucky of discovery. Yeah. Yeah. It's my original copy is falling apart. There's a very beautiful copy on the bookshelves, but my original copy is very dog-eared and falling apart. So it is one of the most powerful books on the planet. Favorite authors are C.S. Lewis. Yes. And A.W. Tozer. 
Okay. Tried to read a little bit of them each year. Great. Yeah, I could go on and on about books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we could be here for a whole, I think that's another podcast episode as well. What about at the moment, current podcast binge, like what are you actually inhaling through the podcast world? You know, I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts. Yeah. But when I do, I'll switch on a man named Jensen Franklin. Okay. He's my sort of creature. I've listened to a couple of those. Yeah, yeah. he's my sort of creature. Other than that, I just don't actually have the time. No, and you're also a reader. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we actually, we're getting amazing answers on books or amazing answers on podcasts. Sure, there you go. Some very little across both, so which is amazing. The voice you love the most in the world, and you might have already covered this off, but male or female, the voice you love the most in the world. Hmm. I couldn't say. To be totally honest, I'm a little bit underwhelmed at the moment with the voices that are out there. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because I like I'm literally whispering it inside my own head every day and it's also showing up. So five or six years ago when I would say to people who inspires you, people could tell you really quickly. And now it's like, oh, it's people have got to stop and think exactly as you just did. So, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a dearth. time for us all to step up. I reckon. Yeah. Get clearer. Mm. Yeah. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? <laughs> oh, yeah, this one, this will hit home for you. <laughs> Great. Just side note to the audience, when Carolina says that, I get ready. <laughs> I was deciding what I was going to do in university mm-hmm. and someone said to me, yeah, go ahead and study that, but don't ever be a leader because women make terrible leaders. <gasps> but you know what? People still say that now. No. It's not just decades ago. And you know what? Maybe it's true a lot of the time. Maybe we've actually done ourselves a disservice. Yeah. But that was hard to hear. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was probably the worst piece of advice that I've received only because leadership is something I never asked for, but it's innate in me. Yeah. And so for a long time, having that monkey sitting on my shoulder, I felt like you resist it, don't you? Yeah. Resisting myself, like what's innately in me to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the greatest cost of this best worst advice is that it does sit on your shoulder, especially because we're usually younger and more malleable when we hear it. And it does sit on our shoulder and it does unconsciously cause resistance into who we're truly meant to be. Mm. You know, so what about then on the flip side of that, the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And with your council of elders and your wise council, I realise it might be really hard to bring that back down to one or two, but what's the best advice? So many, you know, but I'll give you probably the most, the freshest. Yep. And out of my journey losing Sam I was on the phone to my senior pastor Lee with all the why questions yeah why why Mm. he's a good man you know why 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 and even in our faith you know all of my doctrine and theology has been shaken through this journey Mm. what do I believe about supernatural healing what I believe about the goodness of God why 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 And she said to me, Carolina, don't ask why. Why never has an answer. Mm. Ask what now. What now always has an answer. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And so that's just been my mantra through this. There are some questions that we'll never answer on this side of eternity and we'll actually drive ourselves crazy if we try. Yeah. 
But what now always has an answer. It does. Even if it's just this very next step in the next three minutes, what now gets you moving and focused in the right direction? And is that, do you think that's been part of your ability to learn how to spiral up? Absolutely. Yeah. And actually I've taught now on this spiraling up concept and I, I taught about it a couple of weeks ago and someone in the congregation in the audience sent me an email of a, um, it's actually, I had no idea, but it's actually a concept in psychology yeah. of the emotional spiral. And I'd never seen it. Yeah. But yes, this ability to spiral up and we can pull ourselves out of the downward spiral. Hmm. So spiraling up, a lot of it has to do with just doing what's in front of you to do, yeah. doing the next thing. And often, actually, when the next thing involves helping someone else, you move up that spiral even quicker Yeah, because you attach yourself to a cause. And so then you move beyond yourself. Yeah, You move outside of your own pain and you become, and compassion is actually one of the emotions that is the most powerful in that upward spiral. And compassion married with integrity means that, because compassion is more than just sympathy or empathy, compassion demands action. Yeah, it's the verb. That's right. It's the doing of the emotion which helps you spiral up. Yeah. So what now? Well, okay, what do I need to do now? I actually need to get up, get the kids ready for school, reset the house so that I walk back into a clean house, ladies. (laughs) You know, more stressful than walking back into a mess. That might be my what now. But what about the what now today that involves someone else? How can I be an answer to someone else today? And that advice, what now, and actioning being an answer to someone else is just the best advice you can receive in life, but especially in grief and trauma. Yeah, absolutely. I'm. It's so, so what now, what next has always been, that was when I learned that years ago, that was my ability to start shifting gears out of where I've come from. And, but that whole helping somebody, being somebody else's answer, that is the layer that I think gets us also outwardly focused. So we might have to do a special edition of the podcast for you to come back and teach our audience about spiraling up yeah, awesome. because so many people feel weighed down by the weight of the world right now. Mm-hmm. So Carolina, we are going to wrap up in just a moment. Final words or pearls of wisdom from Carolina Gunza. Oh my goodness. Keep listening to Jacqueline's podcast and your world. Oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much <laughs> for a range of reasons, not just for the endorsement. Carolina, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to seeing what our audience says about all of this and I look forward to seeing you again soon on the podcast for a special episode. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Raise 1000 Voices. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. And if you have, then I would love you to subscribe to and rate the show on your favorite platform. Our show notes, resources, and links to all our socials can be found at anygiventuesday.com.au forward slash podcast. And if you'd like to join a growing community of clever, creative, and courageous women who know that they want to be seen, heard, and remembered, then join us in our Facebook group, Raise 1000 Voices. Until we speak again, take care and remember, you were born to raise your voice.